what we help them do is walk that back to say, if you could have given a better price guidance from the beginning, not only will you make more money, you'll close deals faster, but you will remove a lot of that unnecessary process, right? Versus sometimes folks have the misperception of, well, we just need to speed up the review process. It's like, well, you can only speed it up when most deals are going through the review process, right? Welcome to Uptech Report. This is our Applied Tech series. Uptech Report is sponsored by TerraLeap. Learn how to leverage the power of video at TerraLeap.io. Today, I'm very excited to be joined by my guest, Jared Weasel, who's based in Georgia. He's the Senior Vice President at Revenue Analytics. Welcome, Jared. Good to have you on. Thank you. Really appreciate the opportunity, Alex. Now, Revenue Analytics is a revenue management and price optimization software company. Uh, and what's fascinating is actually the history uh, in some ways, your chairman, uh, Bob Kraft, started this industry of revenue management in, in the 80s. Is that correct? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's, it's definitely a fascinating legacy, right? So the, the roots of our company date back to the 1980s in the airline industry during the time of deregulation. And Bob Cross, now our chairman, was actually a lawyer at Delta and was tasked with finding opportunities to, to grow revenue in this kind of new world order, right, as things became deregulated and set up a, a task force, essentially, that ultimately led to the invention of a lot of the core revenue management principles that still persist today. So I like to basically say, you know, he, he's the reason why if we all went on line to our favorite kind of booking portal today and tried to, to buy an airline seat, we'd all pay a different price, right? That's, that's really the science of revenue management based on willingness to pay available capacity, et cetera. All started, and he actually then wrote a whole book on it, published in 1997, I think, on this this whole concept. Yes, he did. Right, which is a New York Times bestseller, dubbed the Guru of Revenue Management. So it's a, a really rich legacy. Now, uh, his, his sons Dax and Zach are the ones that have taken Revenue and uh, Analytics what it is today and have grown it. Is it would, is categorizing this as a family business? Starting as a family business, is that a good way to call it? I think it's it's definitely in their DNA. There's no doubt about it. I think their uh, their dinner conversations as, as kids growing up were probably far different than mine, right? Um, I think it's it's definitely in their blood. But you know, Bob Cross when he had he had landed really on this concept, uh, and the airlines had had left and started a consultancy that evolved into a software company, uh, very focused in the airline space, and then growing to hotel, et cetera. Uh, he ended up selling that, kind of did the lecture tour, book tour, and then a couple of decades ago, his sons came back. Now that they were in the workforce, right, and said, you know, we think well, our turn, you know, to still to, to still basically write the next chapter of the story, right, where it's, it's, it's not done, right? There's continually abilities to push the boundaries in what I consider the more traditional revenue management spaces like airlines, hotel, crews, et cetera. Uh, and then selfishly, where I come in is also kind of how do we adapt and evolve those into industries that are much newer in the adoption cycle of, you know, more data-driven, analytic, consistent, automated pricing and revenue growth decisions. Now, for Jared, you, you actually joined the company seven years ago. Was that, was that correct? Roughly right? Yes, yes seven, so, seven and a half years ago, yep. And it started, though, with, with building custom software solutions for um, larger companies, um, like Fortune 1000 to 5000 kind of companies. Um, and, and helping them, but now you've actually transitioned to, to building a SaaS model so that even others can come on and help me understand, like, what was that shift and what was that, how did that look like? Yeah. Another interesting part of the growth story, right? So when the company was founded, you're spot on, it was really a for hire custom pricing and revenue management consultancy, right? And what has remained core to our DNA, DNA even to this day is the company is basically split between business strategists, PhD mathematicians, and data engineers. And when you think about 
just the complexity of you know pricing every room in Marriott, right? Or pricing every transaction for a $20 billion industrial products company. Our secret sauce is how do you create those cross-functional interworkings across those teams? How do we understand the data? How do we statistically calculate what the right price should be? But then constantly, how do we calibrate and make sure it fits with the business use case and need? Hmm. So that allowed us out of the gate to build custom fit applications. It was, it was great business, right? We have a ton of customers in that space and that still remain customers today. The problem is it's expensive and it takes a long time. And in those spaces where folks really appreciate that specific, nuanced, highly tuned, customized approach, it, it's great, right? But the, the opportunity to scale that becomes limiting. So that was really kind of what we call 1.0 of the company. The fascinating next step as we started to progress towards the SaaS world is a lot of those customers actually came back to us and said, we absolutely love your capability. I mean, we have customers that were presenting proudly in their annual reports to shareholders, the type of uplift we were delivering. But they said, you know, these, these systems need care and feeding, right? Things change, data changes, market changes, there's acquisitions, there's divestitures. We want to make sure we're continually tuning it like a fine-tuned race car, right? Are you all available to do that for us? Because you have the expertise. You built it. You've trained us up. We're running it, but we need to calibrate the models. We got new data coming in, et cetera. So we moved into this world of basically we started to manage as an outsourced analytics shop some of those custom-built solutions. That was kind of our first foray into the recurring revenue type of world, mm-hmm. seeing the value of being able to remain involved, right? And not just drive the system, but also adoption, right? One of the biggest challenges, you know, most analytics initiatives that folks take on, when there are struggles, it's not that the math's wrong, right? It's an adoption challenge, right? People are actually using the numbers, using the software, using the actually, data that's coming actually out. Actually using it, right? When Once the kind of honeymoon phase wears off. So that was kind of the next four way. And, you know, and then as we started to continue to grow, start to think about other industries that we could apply, you know, hey, we're really onto something here in these industries. While it's not an exact lift and shift from a, a hotel to a manufacturer of automotive parts, we should be able to leverage a lot of that, right? But the problem is you get into there is for places that are less further along in their sophistication, their adoption of analytics, even quite honestly, kind of prioritizing pricing as a discipline or a muscle within the organization, part of the adoption hurdle becomes how do we do this cheaper, faster, better, more consistent out of the gate to really prove it. And that in combination with just the advent of technologies around cloud and computing and things that allowed us to do things much quicker, iterate more rapidly at a way more cost-effective price point has pushed us now to be in a purely SaaS enterprise software offering to really just help folks make better pricing and revenue growth decisions. That's nice. So starting with those those three parts of the business, the business strategists, PhD, mathematicians, engineers, you're building custom software and then you deliver to them and they're like, wow, actually, we need to help to keep this updated and going. And so you're providing that service and then you realize, you know what? We could actually provide this ongoing as a software, as a service to everyone, scaling the availability as well to, to more options. Now, your different verticals, you you guys help in, in media and ad buying, in travel and hospitality, and then manufacturing and distribution, correct? Those are your verticals? Got it, yep. Um, now, it obviously started in the travel and hospitality. That was where it, be, where it began. Um, yeah. But now you're seeing op- opportunity in manufacturing and distribution, which is it sounds like your, your specific area that you lead. What is the, I'll just be, let's be frank, what's the adoption there like? Is people like, yes, I need this, I want it? Or, or is there any pushback of why, why do I need that? Why do I want that? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. I mean, I think it's both what 
keeps me energized every morning when I get up, but also also has me completely exhausted by the end of the day, right? I think it's, this is a incredibly immense and diverse space, right? Manufacturing means a whole bunch of different things. There's more than two dozen different subsectors, right? And there's a lot of common characteristics, but there's also a lot of nuances. And so, you know, historically, these organizations have been incredibly adept from maximizing the operational efficiency of the business, right? These businesses are all about how do I squeeze every penny out of the manufacturing process, out of the delivery and the logistics, right? Out of the sourcing of the commodities that go into it. Pricing has just always been an afterthought for them, right? And I think because of that, they're just, I wouldn't say necessarily that adoption's low. We've experienced incredibly high growth in this space. It's just that they are still very early in the adoption cycle as an industry, right? So for the folks that recognize the either the pain or the gain to be had from this, the adoption rate's high. It's just most folks are still very siloed in their, in their thinking, right? And, you know, the classic story I always share is, you know, I had a client where obsessing about removing a penny of cost from a pallet of their good. Completely aspirational. It makes tons of sense when you're selling hundreds of millions of, do- of, of pallets a year, right? But they then turned around and let the sales rep discount up to $50 off the pallet of good with no justification or rhyme or reason. And so there's this interesting disconnect from like you talk to a CFO, like that penny must have been phenomenal, but you turned around and let the sales rep drop the price by $30. You need both, right? You need both. We're not saying forget the cost side, but it's time to also be thinking about the growth side. And so I think that's where can I probably spend as much of my time evangelizing as anything else, right? And just helping people understand. Cause a lot of times they'll feel, they'll feel the symptoms of bad pricing, but they don't connect it to the root cause that it's a pricing issue. Right. And so that's where we find a lot of folks that engage us actually can really come to us with comments like our customers are telling us it's taking too long to turn around quotes, mm-hmm. or there's a term in this space called price exceptions, which, Essentially, you know, corporate will set some very loose guide rails, kind of like that example I gave. Oh, the sales rep can discount up to $30 off this pallet of goods. Well, if they need to go below that, that creates what we call the dreaded price exception, where now that deal has to pass approval of a various number of stakeholders that are typically highly compensated, tasked with driving the business, are now basically rubber stamping deals that come across their desk. And that becomes a huge organizational drag with really no better outcome, right? So those are the kind of symptoms that people have been increasingly coming to us with. What we help them do is walk that back to say, if you could have given a better price guidance from the beginning, not only will you make more money, you'll close deals faster, but you will remove a lot of that unnecessary process, right? Versus sometimes folks have the misperception of, well, we just need to speed up the review process. It's like, well, you can only speed it up when most deals are going through the review process, right? So what does it look like in, in play? Like if, if someone starts to use this, um, how does it work? What's that, that interaction look like? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, kind of think about this in a, in a couple of different dimensions. So first and foremost, you know, being a pricing analytics shop, it, we got to get the math right. We got to get the price right, right? And really, in the simplest terms, this is about helping folks de-average their pricing, Right. So the common starting point for most of those folks is they set some loose guardrails, they set some loose profit thresholds or desired pricing, but it's one size fits all. And 
I'm sure you can appreciate in this type of space, well, a customer that's bringing $10 million worth of orders to you should not get the same price as a transactional buyer that's going to cherry pick you once a year for a part. And of course, there's all kinds of shades of gray in between, right? Then you start to layer in things like, well, there's different products, there's different markets, there's different competitors, there's different strategies. So first we say, how do we statistically basically de-average that guidance? How do we find the attributes of every one of those deals that will signal a different willingness to pay? And then how do we give better guidance? And really it's all about how do we calibrate the guidance around where they've had success in the market? So this is not aspirational corporate pricing. The algorithms we've built over the last five plus years is all about how do we calibrate where you've had success in the market? And then how do we continually recalibrate that logic so you keep striking the right balance of winning, but winning profitably and winning in the places you want to be winning. And so that's kind of the analytics at the highest level. It, 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 so it's, 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 if anything, someone probably, I would say could do this. They probably are doing this. They're sitting there and themselves having to look, oh, here's a deal. As you said, it gets, it, it takes forever to come back because someone has to sit there and look, well, $10 million. Well, I guess that would be good. So someone can make these, decisions, but it slows everything down. What you're saying is throughout the algorithms that you guys have researched and built, along with the historical data that the company should already have, that should be able to be uh, automated? Did it, I it should be able to automate the price guidance, right? And, and I stress guidance, right? So, and there's a reason I stress that is in today's environment in this space, most transactions are still done human to human, right? I think there's a a seismic sea change coming where this space is eventually going to go digital like many others, which creates a whole nother leg up of opportunity for these analytics. But even today, it's just about informing a better starting point or giving the reps some confidence, removing the time they would have spent researching what the right price is, and then removing the time everybody's going to debate it, right? And so, you know, as a classic example, like I have a customer for a $500 deal, it used to have to go through eight rounds of approval. And these folks have day jobs. These aren't approvals of like people that are dedicated to this. Like this is going to a, a P&L owner of the category. It's going to an SVP of sales. It took two weeks. It took two weeks to get back to a customer to tell them whether we could give an extra 5% discount. Now, the answer isn't to just automate all those as a yes, right? We're not in the business of rubber stamping things, but we, we typically find that we can remove up to three quarters of all those exceptions by getting the right price guidance out of the gate. Because again, every customer's got a different willingness to pay. And if we can hone in on that spot out of the gate, that removes it, right? Then you just, you manage by exception. So it's it's almost like, there's two parts that comes to my mind. You're not saying that suddenly in industries like manufacturing distribution, that's going to be like the airlines, where it's just all automated. They don't touch anything. No one actually thinks about it. Maybe one day, but we're not there yet. But at the same time, it, it's those type of decisions when it comes to their desk, I can imagine they're feeling like, gosh, don't don't they already know that like what what something like this should be it should be yes or no or because of these data are they feeling that or are they wanting to still have that control or like are they um, want to say just figure this out you should already know what's in my head it's it's a, a it's a very astute question i think it's a little bit of both right so i think the good and bad is everyone has their perception of what the price should be the bad part about that is is it's all anchored on a completely different rhyme or reason some of them valid some of them are not right and, and we go through this class, we call it a scattershot diagram where we will actually take like a top selling skew and we will plot on just a two by two chart. What's the price paid relative to the revenue of the customer? We say, give us your top selling skew. It will look completely dispersed with no rhyme or reason. 
we typically see price will vary three, four, five hundred percent for that skew with no justification whatsoever. And again, some of that is the blessing because this is not yet in a digital world. It's a very opaque market. So they've been able to get away with it, but that's going to start to change. And at the very least, people can appreciate that if I don't set the price right, one of two things can happen. If I'm going too low, I'm unnecessarily giving a profit. If I go too high, I actually may risk losing the deal and I probably would have been okay going a little bit lower. But mm -hmm. how do I know that the permutations, right? Like the typical customer we have is selling tens of thousands of different products to hundreds of thousands of customers across many different channels. And so it, you, know, you might have a sense of kind of an average price, but when you start to break it down by all those different intricate dimensions, it's really hard to do anything other than reference your past deal, right? Well, I won it at this rate to this person and you forget that that was a million dollar deal and this one's a $10,000 deal. Or when you become the, the product line manager who's got their day job and every day they wake up to 300 approvals that they need to make, they're just going to do something simple like, is it above my gross margin threshold, right? And not really think about it. And so none of those are inherently bad, but that's but where the power of the science comes in is it's a game of inches, right? And we just believe that we can be much more fine-tuned without slowing down the process at all. To do two things, right? Speed it up, but make more money. And you make more money by being more consistent, right? Mm -hmm. Just just be more rational. So you're not debating it. Customers are getting what they expect. It's more predictable financially. It's standardizing the decision set of why do we why would we price it this way? You're, you're across the board. You made the point that each person will have a different perspective of, oh, because of what I know, but they have no clarity of whatever Nelson has been doing or thinking. And so it's just really standardizing everything across the board in the organization. Exactly. Exactly. So e easier said than done, right? But that's where we've just invested an incredible amount. And again, you know, kudos to the to the company's legacy. We had a, we're already standing on the shoulders of giants, but we had to adopt a lot of the science as well to just fit the nuances of this space. One of it being it's a negotiation. So we're not trying to optimize to 10 decimal level point precision because at the end of the day, we still need to give the rep. There's an adoption element here that's critical, right? Because we're, we're, we're working a lot of times with sales reps that have been selling in the space for so long to your point that they, they come in with a perception. And so if we the bar we have to hit is basically every deal we have to re-earn our stripes as adding value to the deal, right? Because the one time we don't, they say, see, I knew that the price should have been $8 per widget instead of nine, right? So it's, it's continuing to hone the science at the right level. It's being transparent. You know, we talked a lot about the math, but we spend a lot of time early on with our customers walking them through the paces. We've built the analytics now mathematically that once we have the data in a good spot, we actually just timed this for, for one of our large industrial products companies we can we can price more than 2000 products for them across a couple hundred companies in less than 10 minutes which is billions of dollars of of you know revenue flowing through which is amazing from a computing power and scale and that is done at the individual every deal every line item every customer has a unique price but there's no organization that's living in the world of an Excel update in price once a year that can make that transformational leap in 10 minutes, right? And so we also go through a very methodical process up front, going back to that evangelizing in this space. This isn't a muscle these organizations already have. So we also have a very purposeful delivery process where we're very transparent. We get their buy and we bring them along the journey so that by the time the guidance is out there, everybody understands where it's coming from, what's influencing it, and what's in it for them is the biggest thing, right? So... Now it's about, hey, Mr. and Mrs. Sales Rep, if you can price within this guidance, 
which you said you've already confirmed calibrated to your market and you understand how it's been collected, your deal is now instantaneously approved. There is no more eight steps in following up and waiting for emails and, oh, Bob's out of the office this week, right? Now my deal is going to be delayed another, another month. I mean, I was a, on a call with a customer in Asia and they were waiting for the sales approval from a guy in the U.S. And it's like, I'm just trying to close a $7,500 deal and I have to wait for the time zone to catch up to get approval. You know, it's just like, again, maybe that should happen for a really big deal, right? We're not in the spirit of automating everything in this space, but you, there's just a world of, of efficiency gain to be had. Mm. This um, speed of, of being able to price everything so fast, that's the power uh, of technology, but the adoption across the board, like now we have the pricing, but now let everyone start using it and, and believe in it and trust it and want to use it. That's, that's a whole other piece. And that's why I think the power of, or, or the, the existence of SaaS software as a service, not just here's a piece of software and then nobody uses it. I think that you were mentioned that earlier. It's like, that's a whole other piece. I feel like that's where you guys have started to really hone in on of, all right, here's not just the software and, and solution, the technology, but will help you get it in use with the team. Is that correct? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, there's a, there's a couple of key points to that. So up front, right, when we're implementing the capability, we spend an incredible amount of time, you know, walking in their shoes. We want to understand what they're going through. We want to understand it. We get that to some degree, everybody's a special snowflake, right? Or they at least want to appreciate the fact that they are. So we want to understand those nuances because, again, we got to re-earn our stripes on every deal, right? So we want to understand what would make you decide to price differently. We understand their systems, where their starting point is. And so that's a big piece of that empathy and training. How long, how long does that typically take, by the way, that that, that onboarding process? Uh, so generally a couple of months. Um, yeah, it varies by customer. And again, that's a purely adoption thing, right? And, and it's, a, it's an investment on both our sides to just make sure that the impact sticks. Right. Because, again, once we have the data, we can give you the answer in 10 minutes, but that just doesn't do you a lot of good when we now push that through a CRM to thousands of sales reps and say, ta-da, we now have a better mousetrap for you. Right. We promise you'll, you'll win more deals and you'll make more commission. Right. So it's a very purposeful process to get them bought in, even though we're very confident in the math. We want them to be believers in it. You know, we were going through a training the other day with a, a customer and we're rolling this out to to their sales force in North America. This is not aspirational pricing. This is not the CFO told us we have to make at least 50 points of margin, get out there, come on, go team, right? We walk them through very purposely the math that we've developed that is specifically designed to calibrate on the sweet spot where them and their peers have had the most success winning business. Right. And we start there. And so this should help them. Right. Which isn't probably the the term that they usually believe. Right. Because I'm sure you get a lot of that. You know, I'm from corporate. I'm here to help type of thing. But we want the stress test. We welcome that. We want sales reps to be pushing back because it's only going to make it that much better. Then when we get it out there, we're very focused on, you know, these are the metrics that should give you confidence in this. But it's not a one time send forget it. Right. Which is the other power of the SaaS is that even if the math is right, and even if the sales rep is doing everything they can, I mean, a lot of our customers right now are going through incredible inflation challenges, right? Lumber, pay, paper, pulp, you know, metal, you name it, right? They're going through really interesting dichotomies in their business where there's certain product lines that are sold out and have lead times of months. And the other half of their business is just sitting there waiting for offices to open up, right? And so you kind of got everything in between. And so 
you need to make sure that the math is calibrating for all of that on an ongoing basis. Is that basis. something that you That's guys do? Power. Is that something that you guys do based on knowing the, the current trends? You are able to adjust the, the algorithm so it's not just saying, all right, this is the algorithm that should be accurate all the time, but to today's uh, market? Yeah, so there's a couple of different dimensions to that. So, so the core logic behind the algorithm, uh, which we've invested an incredible amount, that have an incredibly talented team of, team of PhDs as well as business strategists and data engineers around that that have been working with the customers are at the forefront of this is how do we leverage the, the best of machine learning and artificial intelligence to auto-calibrate this guidance, right? And so the notion is we put the guidance here. If we start winning more deals here, we should tighten the guidance and raise it. It's almost like a continued series of test and learn because again, it's an opaque market. It's not like a hotel where I can go out and understand on the web all my other competitors' price. There isn't that available, which gives you some leeway, but we also, that means there is really no idea of where that sweet spot is to drive the right KPIs. And so the model, you can calibrate and set the guardrail so you feel comfortable around profit threshold, win rates, volume realization, we can tune those KPIs and then let the math auto calibrate over time. The power of that is we often find for most of the products, you actually could get away with a little bit of higher price because naturally it's not picking on, but naturally Salesforce is gonna, sales reps are gonna choose the path of least resistance, right? And, and default a little bit lower. But then the flip side is you might get up to a quarter of your products actually, we're gonna end up a year later with lower prices. But the difference is it's only where mathematically that's making it up right? You're putting more dollars in the bank. You're putting more wins on the board versus just the hypothetical, geez, if I could lower my price on this, I would win more, right? So it's a really neat functionality that what we found is it continues to, you know, folks get a pop out of the gate with a lot of SaaS investment, and then it kind of tapers off, right? What that auto calibration allows us to do is to continue to drive sustainable outcomes, but that's just the math, right? The second piece then is the other big differentiator for us, because we get it in this space, this is not a plug the widget in and be done. We offer different tiers of service where that same cross-functional group can do everything from just make sure the math is continued calibrate to your business, all the way up to what we call team boost, which is an added service where we can actually be an extension of your team. So I have some clients where, you know, they're paying for full or part-time staff members to constantly be working with the business to test strategies, to evolve for more forward-looking things that they maybe don't have data for today, but that we want to get out ahead of, right? And that can be everything from, we get calls all the time of, you know, lead times are looking tough next month. Let's go ahead and adjust pricing now because they're starting to build that muscle. Like, well, that's a better way to calibrate demand than just tell people we don't have it. Let's start only selling the precious few we have to people that are willing to pay more, right? As an example, or man, inflation next month is going to be really tough. Do we need to adjust things up or down? So there's, there's still some strategy to it that we help them think through and then execute as well. Got it. What can you share on your, your roadmap? What's coming up, what you're excited about, what you're either have launched or will be launching soon? Absolutely. So, you know, there, there's a couple of dimensions to this. So in the capabilities we've already launched, a lot of where we're focusing today is we're preparing for that next wave, which is this space will eventually be more digital. It's a long way until it's going to be, you know, what we all experience as consumers on Amazon, et cetera. But folks are starting to dip their toe in the water, whether it's their own portal for just reorders for existing customers or some more aggregator sites. And so a lot of what we're working on now to adapt our existing capability science to how do we operate that in a world where there is no human interaction, right? And there's a couple of different dimensions to that. One, you got to get the price even more, right? Because all else equal, there usually isn't going to be that opportunity to negotiate, right? At least on smaller transactional deals. And so we're working through a lot of early use cases with that with our customers. 
The second fascinating thing is, you know, we're a pricing, but we're also a revenue growth company, right? And one of the other pieces we just organically started to develop with some of our leading customers in the space is you think about the transformation from I'm a sales rep selling to you. I've developed a personal relationship. I understand your business. If I'm doing my job, I'm not just taking your order. I'm proactively recommending products, right? Mm -hmm. What we typically find in this space is for our average customer, you know, for our customers, their customer probably needs four or five or six or seven other products, but they only sell them one, right? And so another big breakthrough piece for us that we recently launched and we're starting to see some really strong adoption is around product recommendation, which is very different in this space because it's, it's like Amazon for your B2B business, but it's more nuanced than that, right? Because there's application fits, right? It's not just say, hey, you can offer up anything, right? Just because I bought a red t-shirt, now I should suddenly buy a pencil, right? Like that won't make sense in a B2B world the way maybe it does in a consumer. And so that to me is really going to be the yin and yang with like, now it's not just about getting the right price and trusting that the sales rep has offered the right product. The next frontier, we got to offer the right product at the right price, right? And so it's that intersect that's had our team incredibly jazzed and we've had some great early wins on it. But candidly, that's also where we just need the technology. We want to be ready, right? And at the forefront, but we need the technology and the folks to catch up enough to, to be willing to transact more in that type of world. Yeah, that that one that one two punch uh, that 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 uh, makes it possible. So what I'm fascinated is is this future that you paint uh, in the B two B world that it could become more like the consumer world that that uh, a lot more transactions are going to happen digitally. And I'm wondering if that actually could concern anyone like like the really like especially manufacturing distribution like what everything would go digital. I would we wouldn't have salespeople doing these interactions. Like how is that going to change everything? Or not? I think it'll change everything and not change much at all, right? It's kind of the classic answer, right? I think the demand is already there, right? I mean, all of us are consumers. We've just come to, even pre-pandemic, we've come to just appreciate the convenience of picking up my phone and reordering something, right? And yeah, there's an opportunity to talk to an expert if I need it, but for my day-to-day needs, I don't need to talk to an expert as I'm ordering my kid's cereal, right, to be delivered or, or what have you. And so I think in that world that's more transactional, more commoditized, it really shouldn't change much, right? It's a convenience play. And I think the first step we're working with a lot of our customers, you don't have to force everybody there, but you got to start making that channel available because customers are more and more going to want to self-select into that. But you can give them the out. And that's what I mean by it's not going to change a lot overnight. Like this isn't like every salesperson's going to go away tomorrow kind of thing, right? Um, I think on the big accounts, right, there is still absolutely a role for the sales rep as far into the future as I can see. But the pressure is going to be more on the the consultative piece of that, right? I'm not just here to take your order. I'm here to help you solve your problem, right? So I'm selling you automotive parts into a, a brake repair shop, or I'm selling you electrical components into a building you know, construction project, I'm selling you paper products into your office. Like, it's not just, hey, Jim, I'm here to, I'm here to take your order, but let me talk through what your needs are. How can we best package it together? Um, but I think it's going there, right? Whether folks want to want to kind of come along for the ride, but I think the winners are going to have to get there faster. Um, and, you know, I think there will be savings from a resource perspective, but it's not just the, hey, let's swap out sales reps for a URL, right? Right. For, for you guys, just coming back to the product for a moment, is um, uh, your your product's price plus, I think is what it's called, and and then also the the product one. Is that called product? Product plus, yep. <laughs> Very simple names. I like it. <laughs> keep, keep it simple. Price plus, product plus. Um, the 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 
the best customer for you that that makes sense to be able to do, what what do they look like? Can you describe them? So those our listeners on they might be like, oh, this sounds really good, but they actually aren't a good fit for you. Or and there's others who be like, just help me understand who, who yeah. those are. Yeah, it's a it's a great question. I appreciate you asking. So there's a couple of buckets, right? From a from a company characteristic perspective, the three things we're typically looking for is a complex catalog of products or services that you're selling, right? Selling it through multiple channels, right? Which really basically today means you're almost competing with yourself, which has become really fascinating more than anybody else, right? Because I can go buy your product in a retail shelf or through a distributor or through your sales rep. Uh, and then, you know, at least a significant piece of that product being tied to underlying commodity costs, right? And it's really the intersection of those three because where the math, again, this is kind of a game of inches. We're just looking to stack the deck, right? That, that's really what we're looking to do for you. So we need a large number of observations and we need a business where the complexity has just pushed beyond what Excel and a couple of people could handle and keep pace with, right? So that's kind of the characteristics of the folks we look to. As a result, there's a handful of subsectors that we really focus on. From a pain point perspective, I mentioned a few earlier on, but folks that are, you start to hear things like, it's taken us a really long time to turn around. Our customers are saying we're too slow, right? Is, is one, you know, huge alarm bell kind of going off. Versus, that's a pricing problem. It's probably not, you need even more CRM software workflows, right? Um, you know, the other one we, we hear a lot is, geez, you know, our, our either win rate is too high or it's too low, right? We're, we're just not winning as much as we used to. We can't figure it out. Or conversely, like we're winning a lot, but my margin's kind of, kind of eroding, right? Uh, another one is this whole price exceptions thing, right? It's probably the one that's the most emotionally attached. So when, when I get on a call with somebody, I'm just educating what we do. And I mentioned price exceptions. You know, you can quickly tell they're like, no, it's not for us. Or they get really close to the screen. Like, can I tell you how many I wake up to every morning, right? It's just like, finally, it's like this cathartic experience, right? It's like we have 25,000 of these a year that we have to process kind of thing, right? And so... If you have price exceptions, that is not a workflow automation problem. It's a it's a pricing problem. I think are really the the main pieces. Got it. Well, thank you so much for for walking us through both the history of, of of the company and the product, and and also a little bit of the future uh, of what we could expect for those that want to learn more. Uh, head over to revenueanalytics.com, and you'll be able to kind of dig in. You can even take a look at the book that the the, the book that they wrote on this, and book a demo uh, to explore more. Thank you so much, Jeff, for, for joining us. It's good to have you no, on. No, my pleasure, Alex. Really appreciate the opportunity. Absolutely. And we'll see you all on the next episode of Uptech Report. Have you seen a company using AI, machine learning, or other technology to transform the way we live, work, and do business? Go to uptechreport.com and let us know.